Good afternoon, and welcome to the council. I'm Charlie Pacello, your host, and we are broadcasting live from www.kuhsdenver.com. That's kuhsdenver.com, and we are just waiting for one more camera to come on board, and we will begin a very, very important show today. Really, really important. We're going to dive deep into understanding the heart of darkness, the war on the soul, and the steps we can take to heal it. And so uh, I have a very, very special guest with me who's been on the show before. And uh, we all get started here in just a few moments. So thank you all for tuning in from all around the world. Uh, we are broadcasting, hitting lives in Colorado, in around the nation, and around the world. And we truly, truly thank you for being here. And this show couldn't be possible without every one of you. And uh, it's our promise here on the council to be able to give you the best shows that we possibly can, that can inspire and heal and uh, bring compassion and hope into your lives. So just a couple more minutes, folks, and we'll get started here as this other camera goes online. And we're just waiting. Okay, folks, we're going to go ahead and do something different. But anyway, we are on the council, the council with Charlie Pacello. I'm your host, and we want to do a quick shout out to Remax Alliance. Remax Alliance uh, is a sponsor of this show. Uh, if you need to buy a home in Colorado, they are the people to go to. They're the number one real estate agent in the state. Uh, I know them personally. They're dear friends of mine. Go to www.remax.com. Uh, homesincolorado.com. That's homesincolorado.com. If you need to buy or sell your home, they're the people to go to. They're extraordinarily friendly and kind and uh, will work to get you the best deal that you possibly can. So please go check out Remax Alliance if you're needing to buy or sell a home. Again, that's www.homesincolorado.com. That's homesincolorado.com. Today's show is very different. We are uh, we're going to be focusing on the next couple of shows about veterans issues and first responder issues. And we're going to look at what goes on in a person's soul. What when they're confronted and faced with uh, the darkness that uh, uh, so many people have to face when they when they hear that call to serve, uh, what happens to them? And it's we really need to dive in, understand this because we live in a world that seems to be uh, in constant chaos and people's lives are being threatened. And when we're not very careful about how we use force and when we use it and why we use it, we can cause a lot of damage to the individuals and souls who have are called to go do this and who actually are on the front lines. And so today we're going to talk about the war on the soul. And while I was working on my on my degree, uh, you know, I wanted to understand more deeply the reasons why we are inexplicably drawn to the darkness. What is it? I mean, we hear about it in movies like Star Wars. You know, the the the, the you know the Force be with you, and you know, being drawn to the dark side. I mean, these are actual things that we are we are confronted with. And with my gentle guidance from my advisor and mentor and uh, teacher and friend who's on the show with me today, Dr. Edward Tick. 
we were able to develop a course that was able to map out the process in a manner a woman goes through when they're seduced by these powers of the dark. What is the nature of evil? Why do we participate in it? And what are the pathways that we can take to find redemption? And it was my quest to penetrate, to understand these darker forces of our nature. And it's a reality we almost face if we desire a more compassionate, loving, and peaceful world. You know, we're challenged at this time to embrace the beast, uh, the beast within us, and the beast, uh, the collective beast. And it's this cumulative effect of this collective shadow that is massed against us. And it's manifested in various weapons of mass destruction, like nuclear weapons, and superior technological weaponry that deliver horrific carnage and destruction and death in its wake. And it emerges from the bowels of the earth and it will consume us all if we don't deal with it, if we don't face it. And so this show's attempt today is just a briefly, because the topic here could be, we need a long time to talk about it, but just an attempt to unlock and unmask the heart of darkness, find its purpose, discover a pathway for all the souls who are lost in despair hopelessness and suffering that their lives held hostage to this scourge of evil that is blighted mankind for millenniums and to travel through and out because the the shadow we can't run from evil it's a shadow it's with us and we've got to face it now what i learned is that fear uh, is one of the driving forces behind the heart of darkness and when i studied this i looked at the book that Joseph Conrad wrote, which was about the heart of darkness, and the movie Apocalypse Now, which was a movie that was made about the, about the story. And it shows a character named Charlie um, Marlowe, that's who's in Joseph Conrad's book, and Benjamin Willard, who is the character in Apocalypse Now. And they journey into this jungle in pursuit of the disturbed Kurtz, uh, whose character was played in the movie by Marlon Brando. And they are confronted as they're going on this journey with the inscrutable, insufferable mystery of the dark, which is chaos. And they, had, they heard this call to adventure, which so many soldiers and veterans and others have heard. And they pass through the veneer of security, which is civility, morality, goodness, and civilization to face this terror of life. And both feel this eerie fascination with the abominable. Both are inexplicably drawn to this hostile, cruel, destructive, menacing power lurking behind this curtain. It's a magnetizing power which consumes the heart of a human being. And it's an unspeakable terror and horror that speaks of a primordial existence where life was or is constantly threatened by an external force. And our primitive instincts are awakened in these environments. The beast within rises from his slumber and our primary focus is on our survival. The instinct to survive is our strongest and most powerful drive. So what leads a man or a woman to violence? It's because the self feels threatened or believes it's threatened. You know, violence at its core grew out of our instinct to survive and, and conquer our fear of death. The only justifiable act of violence is to preserve one's life or the life of our loved ones. It's instinctual to protect those that you love. 
However, evil lurks in violence. And we become, when we become possessed by the fears in our lives or our lives are threatened in some way, violence can become the means by which we protect and secure ourselves. And a violent act seems the only option when we become in contact with a terrifying experience of our innate vulnerability. And so if we're going to pen penetrate into this heart of darkness, we must examine just these forces that are, that are driving it, that underlie it. I mean, these are, these, are clash, uh, these are cosmic forces, the clash of these cosmic forces that have been a part of this planet, the cosmogony and the mythology of every single society that's ever lived. This battle between good and evil, between the light and the dark, between chaos and order is a motif that has expressed itself most visibly in the act of war. Now, war brings us closer and more in contact with the epic battles of competing forces in the universe. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pattern. It's an, an initiation. And it's an initiation that is very powerful in its spiritual, mythical, and energetic forces. And it affects everyone who it touches. Now, in the movie Apocalypse Now, and in the book that by Joseph Conrad, it both demonstrate in vivid detail this journey of initiation, which leads a man or woman to his death, whether it's actual or symbolic. And the old self must die. Our innocence is lost. And Marlowe and Willard both confront on the respective descents into this, into the underworld, this, the lifeless bodies of the dead and the ghost-like figures that symbolize the other world and they experience the segregation the torture the assimilation and ultimately the killing or sacrifice of the beast which was embodied in kurt and this is followed by a rebirth and return we don't necessarily see in the movie uh clearly willard's transformation but in the book marlowe is transformed and haunted by this experience and he never looks at life the same way again so what's at the core of this fear of the darkness? I think it's the fear of death. And we feel helpless in front of this dark specter of death. Uh, we, it doesn't follow any normal laws. It's, it's, it's arbitrary, it's cruel, it's scourging, and it's indiscriminate. It holds us in a paralyzing grip of horror, and this jungle symbolizes, or the desert, can symbolize this awesome, overwhelming power that death has over life. And if we don't conquer our fear of death and find its release from that fear, we can become its prisoner. But the darkness itself is not the reason why human beings become evil. I mean, that's, it's not the reason. So we have to look at one more qualifying aspect that makes human beings unique in the animal world, which is the ego. And our ego and our, or our personality often is the governing principle orchestrating the choices we make in our lives. And the ego is designed to be in conflict between the irrational and the rational parts of our nature. The primitive animal and that which we would consider to be the divine spark in us. Now when we're confronted with this ponderous nature of the dark, it's natural for human beings to recoil at it, to protect themselves, or they merge with it. Now evil originates in a lie. That lie is being that all is suffering, all is death, all is, is, is hopelessness, and that there is no benevolent God watching over us. 
And when we break with the sacredness and unity of all life, our fears mingle with the rage of, at the betrayal we have been taught to believe, and we feel vulnerable and scared. And then those powers of the dark, they rush in. Now what grows out of this intolerable fear is the vanity and desire to dominate. And that's an aggressive self-assertion to prioritize the self, me and what is mine. And it's a ravenous desire. He or she covets another's possessions, attributes, positions, resources, power. And that includes the power of the dark at the expense of human life. In order to exalt oneself above the limitations prescribed by morality, civility, culture, and religion. I mean, there's a thrill and excitement when it comes to inflicting abominations. One grows to actually like the feeling, to love the feeling. And that darkness feeds off of those negative emotions, that hubris, that hatred, and the anger. And it leads human beings deeper into the abyss until that heart turns cold. When a poor person reaches this point, they have made friends with horror and terror. They can kill, maim, torture, hurt, mutilate at will, and still maintain that veer, veneer of morality. And they are the perfect warriors described by Kurtz in the movie when he chillingly says, quote, moral men who can kill without feeling, without passion, without judgment. For it is judgment that defeats us. He offers us a glimpse of what evil is. Now, according to Mirase Eliade, the author of Rites and Symbols of Initiation, the burning fire and heat that is produced in the heat of battle, which all people who have been through that understand, which precedes the berserker state, is the same fire that, and heat that is experienced by the mystics, the sages, and the shamans who turn their respective initiations inward. It is a access to sacred power. And this power can be misguided and misused for, towards destructive ends if not properly understood. And when one feels this sacred heat welling inside that is experienced as non-human, supernatural force coming out of the depths of his or her being, there is a temptation to be a god or a goddess. If a person is unbridled by morality and the sacredness of all life, if he or she is motivated by utility, self-interest, domination, or power, and survival of the self at all costs, that heart of darkness will devastate the soul of a human being. And the quest to conquer the fear of death leads to two different paths. You can either follow it to the light, or you can follow it towards the dark. And for some, the only way they can conquer it is to merge with the dark, to become one with it. They master the darkness, and they master the fear of darkness, and they master the fear that others have of the darkness. And you become, in essence, a god or a goddess. For a god or a goddess can be cruel and kind, violent and nonviolent, or benevolent. A god can unleash unmerciful moral terror and horror at his or her worshipers, or bless them with wealth, prosperity, happiness, and security. Gods and goddesses do not necessarily share the human predicament. Gods can break promises. Total obedience and adoration is expected. They can be friendly and loving or terrifying and brutal, a heartless slayer of children. 
So to achieve a transhuman experience where nothing is above you or nothing is below you, where you are the all-powerful God of creation and destruction, I think, is the ultimate temptation that hides itself in the heart of darkness. So, now I would like to introduce uh, my dear friend and teacher, mentor, guide. Um, I, 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 I can't express all the words that I want to express, uh, but Dr. Edward Tick. He is the founder and executive director of Soldier's Heart. Uh, he's the author of Warrior's Return and War on the Soul. And he has been working with uh, veterans and their, and their traumas and the pain that they come back with from war for over almost 45 years. And so I would like to uh, let you uh, introduce you, Ed. Uh, please uh, let, let the audience know a little about the background and um, some of the things that you have going on in Soldier's Heart now. Well, greetings, Charlie, my brother and friend, and greetings to all of you out there who have tuned in with us today. I want to thank everybody in our audience for joining us and being willing to discuss meditate on, consider these most deep and difficult questions, mm -hmm. some of the questions and concerns that have plagued humanity uh, in the deepest ways for the longest times. We, Charlie and I, are, are contemplating and struggling with human dilemmas that have been with us for four or five thousand years, for as long as history has been recorded and for as long as the patriarchy has dominated the flow of civilization. And so we may get into that as some of the roots of violence when we are imbalanced and only coming from uh, our patriarchal and masculine yang selves, but not fully balanced with earth, with the yin, with the gentle. But we'll get into that. So I'm honored to be with you. And as Charlie shared, I've been working with our military and veterans and their families for uh, over, well over 40 years. I began at the very end of the Vietnam War, uh, before post-traumatic stress disorder was even a diagnosis. That modern diagnosis was only created in 1980. However, in our studies, we know that what we call PTSD today has been with humanity for as long as there has been warfare, violence, any form of uh, violent immorality. And uh, we know of more than 80 names that it's had. And this wound is to the heart and to the soul, not uh, just brain chemistry and, and neuropsychology, as uh, the dominant uh, models are saying today, but rather the wound is to all of us. It is to our heart, our soul, our mind, our bodies, our communities, our sense of morality, our connection to each other, the way we run society, and the relationship between our warriors and our and the civilian population. So what we call PTSD is a comprehensive and holistic wound that penetrates to the deepest dimensions of our spirituality and of our unity in community with each other. Uh, <clears throat> there are very many good, sincere trauma healers today and we all know that there are many different uh, philosophies and practices for addressing trauma we don't reject any of those but rather charlie and i and our work in soldiers heart 
uh, tries to be, we strive to be as comprehensive and holistic as possible, including all dimensions of our being. And we also concentrate on those dimensions of the traumatic wound that the mainstream conventional approaches ignore. Mm -hmm. So we look most deeply and respond to the emotional and the spiritual and the community dimensions of trauma wounding and trauma healing and those are the very dimensions that in other cultures some today around the world elsewhere in the world and also throughout time other cultures that have been able to prevent serious traumatic breakdown or and heal its occur have concentrated on the emotions our spirituality and our responsibility in community to help and care for each other and carry all of these wounds together, not isolate them in the individual veteran or survivor. What we find is that in a culture like ours, when we are profoundly individualistic, we transfer all of the responsibility for actions in the military, during warfare, or other forms of violence to the individual, expect the individual to carry them alone, pathologize the individual with diagnosis, mental health uh, treatment, um, disability ratings, such that we render the survivor of trauma a pathological misfit, and then separate them and treat them and actually keep them in treatment and disabled for the rest of their lives mm -hmm. rather than bring redemption, restoration, healing, and help our warriors return to society where they are still desperately needed and in fact always needed throughout the life cycle. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit of our philosophy and uh, at Soldier's Heart we are striving assiduously to um, answer these issues to find not just complex philosophical understanding as Charlie and I are presenting today, but also real world connected community-based practical ways for helping restore the soul, rebuild community and bring us all together in the healing of violent trauma. Mm -hmm. And uh, Soldier's Heart is very, very active all the time in this and uh, I'm very grateful to Charlie and uh, this radio show for this opportunity to share with you and also to uh, announce a slew of events we are having uh, from the end of this month through the end of June inviting all of you to join us if and when as you can and dive more deeply into the consideration of trauma understanding it and working together to heal with it uh, so let me just briefly give you uh, this invitation to consider joining us anywhere or everywhere you can. Uh, every year, our organization, Soldier's Heart, hosts a memorial, an intensive Memorial Day weekend retreat. So we will be doing that from May 25th through May 28th, uh, Memorial Day this year. And here, too, uh, please go to our, our website www.soldiersheart.net not .com.net uh, for the schedules of these events and also for how to, to sign up. Regarding Memorial Day, remember it was a sacred holiday. It's not the first day of summer vacation. Many of you will have picnics and gather with family and that's beautiful. However, our military and veterans feel profoundly alienated from the way Memorial Day is practiced and 
It's meant to be a holiday to carry, as Charlie was urging, deeply into our grief, into the underworld that exists inside us, and to grieve the fallen, to grieve the acts that we may have been involved with uh, that harmed life, that took life, and to help restore our soul through uh, deep and beautiful community healing practices. We do that for four days and night during during Memorial Day, mm -hmm. and we all come out transformed, relieved of our grief, healing uh, much of our moral injury, and back in a united community. So that's available to you for Memorial Day weekend. On Friday, June 1st, at, from noon to 1 p.m. Uh, uh, Eastern Time, I will be giving a webinar online through the American Psychological Association. Uh, through their trauma division, so you can, and this is on the archetypal and exposure therapy forms of healing trauma, and we don't mean exposure therapy by locking veterans in a room with uh, complex technological devices to recreate uh, the combat uh, environment. That is one form of therapy, but we travel to Vietnam with our veterans from all wars, not just the Vietnam War, and we also travel to Greece, and Charlie and I have been in Greece together mm -hmm. on warrior's journeys. Uh, so the archetypal healing and exposure therapy we mean is to go deeply into the lived experience of the warrior's journey and in it to transform the way we carry it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll be talking about that on June 1st and leading our 18th journey to Vietnam this come uh, Veterans Day. We will be in Vietnam practicing the original meaning of Veterans Day, Armistice Day, mm -hmm. by practicing reconciliation and healing together with our Vietnamese counterparts. That's the first two weeks of November this year. And you're all invited to consider that. Again, it's not only for the veterans or the Vietnam generation. Younger veterans go from uh, the sandbox wars, mm -hmm. and all of us from uh, the United States have business there. Uh, again, on Friday, the following week, Friday, June 8th, I will be giving uh, Sounds True, the publisher of my book, Warriors Return, is giving a month-long trauma summit, and I urge uh, uh, everybody to look at this. Two dozen of the leading trauma healing experts in the country will be offering webinars all during the month of June. Uh, mine will be Friday, June 8th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Finally, Charlie and I will be together along with about eight other major trauma healers in Saratoga Springs, New York from June 28th to 30th, where we will be holding uh, Soldier's Heart Summer Institute on trauma, healing, and the human spirit. And together we will go there again very deeply into the issues Charlie is named and he and I will be discussing today, mm -hmm. looking uh, in a, quite a, a circumspect and holistic manner using the humanities, the social sciences, the arts, uh, and history, everything we know to bring light into the darkness caused by violent trauma. Yes. So we are busy. We're working on this together all the time. I'm honored to be in brotherhood and solidarity with you, Charlie, and, and our other companions on this journey. And thank you all for tuning in and caring about this. <laughs> we need you. We certainly do need you. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very exciting to be a part 
of the Soldier's Heart Institute and being able to share some of the wisdom that I've gained and learning how to integrate uh, the arts and theater into, um, you know, being able to uh, combine ritual and theater into a modality that will help people to share their stories in meaningful ways on the stage that allows them to see their story unravel and to achieve catharsis. The ancient Greeks believed that catharsis was the deepest healing that we could have. That was a purging, a deep purging, a cleansing of the soul. And theater was perhaps the most effective method in being able to do that. Uh, and, you know, instead of learning about somebody else's story and watching that performance, it's about learning how to put your story on that stage and to have either yourself act it or somebody else act it and watching it unfold. When I, when I have done that with vets uh, who were living on Skid Row, the power in it was extraordinary. Uh, every man on Skid Row was crying. They were, there was a purging, a grief that was sharing. And they were saying that no one, that, uh, no one had honored them in, in that way before. And uh, they, it was incredible. So if you're interested, please go to the Soldier's Heart uh, Summer Institute. We are gonna have a fabulous, fabulous three days there. So, Ed, we got to get back to our topic here uh, because we uh, need to be able to, to start talking about the darkness. Now, in my opening monologue, you've heard me talking a little bit about the darkness. Do you feel it's the same way that, I mean, that it's this fear, that it's this drive for power um, that moves people to the heart of darkness? Um, what other factors uh, lead a man or a woman to succumb to those forces of our darker nature? from an unusual place. Uh, actually, it's a very usual place, but we don't usually talk about the darkness uh, from this beginning place. I want to start with the Ten Commandments. And in particular, I want to start with the Five Commandments, the Thou Shalt Nots. We are told, Thou shalt not murder, Thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Uh, in every one of those are profound temptations, as you earlier indicated, Charlie, toward taking power for ourselves, mm -hmm. putting our egos first, destroying community for the benefits that might come to us, and actually turning against our fellow human beings and breaking the natural unity and the natural community into small pieces that serve us. Every one of those... Uh, Commandments are broken during warfare, mm -hmm. inevitably. Yes. And unless we hold an extremely high and fierce moral ground, and unless we train ourselves, our society, and those who are fighting for us, our warriors, to hold fast and fiercely to a higher morality, so we're not doing those uh, not breaking those commandments, mm -hmm. we will inevitably fall into the darkness. Uh, we also mm -hmm. are taught by religion of the seven deadly sins. Mm -hmm. Greed, lust, pride, envy, and the others. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember my list up at the moment. However, <laughs> all of these are active in us. All of these are part of the human potential. All of these become active when we lose our hold on the light, when we lose our moral compass, and when we give into the darkness. Mm -hmm. Plato said that we don't have to look 
far for the cause of war. Simply, the cause of war, according to Plato, is simply greed. Right. When we want what others have, mm -hmm. when we want to make it for ourselves, when we are greedy that way, we are giving in to um, what the deadliest of the human sins, and it distorts our being utterly so that we cannot stay in community, we cannot see the good. And as you rightly said, Charlie, the ego and its gratification replaces our higher uh, connection to the divine and our commitment to community. Mm -hmm. Warriors ideally are spiritual beings, mm -hmm. spiritual people who not only have been trained in how to serve as effective warriors, but also have been profoundly spiritual trained to hold on to the highest moral values mm -hmm. and go through that rite of passage, that initiation you were talking about, so that they come out with higher values and if they have to use violence, they don't abuse it. That's right. Uh, every time, uh, uh, well, backing up a bit, the throughout history, warriorhood has been used as a rite of passage, the mm -hmm. initiatory path for most men and throughout the ages, some women. Now, of course, many more women are serving in our military, and so the warrior's path is becoming an initiatory journey for women. You are correct in that a profound psycho-spiritual transformation is supposed to happen mm -hmm. such that we do not give into evil. Uh, many of our warriors uh, coming back from the sandbox wars wonder uh, did I break the first commandment? Mm -hmm. The actual commandment is thou shalt not murder, not the more common translation of thou shalt not kill. Mm -hmm. The warriors coming back, come back saying, I'm not sure if I killed or murdered. I'm not sure if the killing that I had to do was necessary, mm -hmm. clean, good for the higher good, or I took the lives that I shouldn't have taken, right. uh, or our, that our country wanted me to take for other purposes other than pure self-defense and protection. Mm -hmm. I lead, uh, we mentioned earlier, I lead healing journeys to Vietnam every year. And cross-cultural comparison of the traumatic wound is critical and gives us very much information on why we're so wounded. Why do we have epidemic post-traumatic stress disorder and moral injury mm -hmm. among our people who serve? It's really important that, all, that our audience knows and that the world understands this, that in Vietnam, though the American war was there, though the Vietnamese lost 3 million people compared to our 58,000, mm -hmm. though the infrastructure and environment were destroyed, there's no chronic post-traumatic stress disorder in Vietnam such as we have here. They don't have it. Mm -hmm. They haven't seen it. They did have a acute PTSD in the 1970s after the war, they said their worst cases lasted a few weeks or maybe a few months. Mm -hmm. But they have all of the spiritual and communal practices in place to resist PTSD. And for the most part, the Vietnamese felt like they were morally aligned. They were only trying to protect their country from invaders. Mm -hmm. They never turned against the United States. They never... 
uh, and we may be hurting or pissing off some Vietnam veterans mm -hmm. in our audience. So I apologize. <laughs> Probably. I invite you to yep. come to Vietnam with us. <laughs> uh, and it, this does not mean the Vietnamese did not do horrible acts and did not do evil and were not possessed yes. by the berserk. It happens to everyone. Yes. They admit their atrocities against us and ask us to talk about them with with them and for both sides to forgive each other. Uh, but the, the point is that there are preventive and protective factors in spirituality and in cultures that can prevent us from falling, uh, becoming prey of the darkness and being possessed by it. War inevitably projects us into that massive conflagration of universal forces, and it is extremely hard to resist the inflation that comes. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, when, it, with the inflation I, that comes, Ed, it is something that can be so powerful and so overwhelming. I mean, you you can actually, like, see red. I mean, the warriors have talked about seeing uh, the red of the blood and, and that, that comes through and through the eyes. And there are veterans that I have worked with here that, you know, the, the, the pain that they've experienced, they're like, I killed people, I killed people, I killed people. And that goes right back to what you were talking about with the commandments. You know, this conflict, this internal conflict that they're having about, you know, did I do the right thing or did I not do the right thing? Was I, you know, you know, that was I ha did I have the true authority to kill somebody or did I not? And so, you know, bringing someone back from the edge of the abyss because they're in internal conflict, that moral injury that they have experienced because they had were forced and ordered to kill somebody. And, you know, I was working with someone who had who'd gone to Iraq for uh, three different tours and he, that that doesn't leave them. And he was a he's a you know colonel. And so just because uh, you think you may have all this uh, this other training that helps to alleviate that, that doesn't mean necessarily that everybody has come back. And that's why we do the work that we do to help everyone make their return journey home. But we have to understand the nature of evil. We have to look at evil and understand what it is. I mean, we have a responsibility to understand its truth and the truth of it. And for the singular purpose of freeing the soul from the darkness, the, the wickedness, that immorality and that error. Because when we deny that darkness within, we're only deceiving ourselves. And as a consequence of that self-deception, we project our errors onto the world. We put it on other people. We put it on to institutions, on governments, on, you know, sometimes we do it on whole races of people. And when we place evil outside of us, we conveniently avoid the guilt of our misguided judgments, you know, and we maintain a, a, a false image, a false self-image of perfection. We don't do it. Everybody else does. And when we do that, and we remain in ignorance of the harm and the pain, and the misery, and the suffering, and the sorrow we inflict on others. We stay in ignorance. And in my professional opinion on this, this is what keeps us doing the same thing over and over and over again, because we haven't really got this lesson. We have the people on, on top who make these decisions to go to war, but they're not the ones on the front lines. You want to drop bombs, you go clean up the bodies. You, know? you go do that stuff. And so, in your opinion, what is, the, what is this nature of evil, and how does it destroy the conscience of a human being who's, who's asked to do these kinds of things? Well, uh, I will address that, and I just want to 
echo that our leaders are not the ones on the front lines that being asked to do these acts. Even more than that, most of our leaders have never been on the front lines and they do not know the, they don't have the intimacy with the evil death and destruction that ha- that occurs on the front lines. And so when they are possessed by what we would call evil impulses, they don't recognize them. Mm-hmm. They, as you're rightly saying, project that evil onto others, render themselves good. Uh, we are good. We are right. We are the policemen of the world and we can do no wrong. And so we can do anything we want to others. And so projection is in uh, is one of the key tools, psychological and uh, community social tools that anyone participating in evil uses to distance it, it from us and to lay it on other people. So uh, what well, what is evil? Um, huh. <laughs> uh, I'd like to. I'll I wanted to give you an easy story. question, Ed. I wanted to be real easy, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Real you. easy, nothing too hard. <laughs> I was, um, I have a dear friend and mentor now who's a 92-year-old World War II combat veteran. He was 19 years old when he was walking point for his unit that entered into a small German town uh, called Nordhausen. They had expected severe resistance from the German army, but the Germans uh, retreated the night before. He didn't know that. He was the first man of his regiment walking carefully through the streets, uh, armed and ready to fight, when a skeleton in prison stripes came walking up to him, stumbling up to him. He had never seen such a being before. The man came right up to him, looked into his face, fell down on the ground before him, kissed his army boots, and just said, Freiheit, Freiheit, which is freedom in German. There was a concentration camp in this village. Uh, our our friend Thayer Green uh, became a 19-year-old concentration camp liberator. He wrote home to his parents that night, I didn't know why I was here. I didn't really know what my service was about. I thought this was a European war until I saw the camps. Then I realized with a monstrous awakening, and you're talking about that, what is the initiation? Initiation through warrior service and the experience of combat is an awakening to the reality of evil and how extraordinarily powerful it is and that it might even be not just our own distorted psychology but an independent force in the universe that visits us again and again and possesses us and uh, this World War II vet said I finally understood why I had to fight and it gave me tragically sadly but necessarily it gave me the ability to fight and take other lives because i realized i was in a battle against absolute evil and trying to stop that evil from taking over humanity mm-hmm. so every religion every religion we have gives us a moral code for what how we're supposed to act to resist the doing of evil and in our home religion, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we remember that Satan, 
was God's favorite and most beloved archangel. Mm -hmm. How is it that the evil one, the father of lies, is God's most beloved, who then is fallen? We have to see that what we call evil is built into the nature of the universe. The word war comes from an early high German word, word meaning strife. The ancient Greeks taught, uh, like through the philosophy of change of Heraclitus, the Buddhists teach that there isn't stability and quietude in the universe. There is always the con conflict of good and evil, of dark and light. Always, always, always. And this is a universal condition and that we must be aligned with the light and we must resist the uh, evil taking over us and guiding our actions. Mm -hmm. So when we learn the golden rule from any religion, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that has been a guide meant to be a guide of humanity's behavior since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. We have commandments... All, it's all about resisting that incredible attraction that evil has that fills us with extraordinary universal power. We're told to not cause others pain, to treat them as we want to be treated, to protect and improve our own souls by doing right, by never returning harm for harm. Hinduism, Zoroastrianism, Socrates said this stuff, Confucius, and of course Jesus. And Jesus taught, do good to those who hate you. Turn the other cheek. So we, again, are taught, resist, resist, resist this incredible attraction that gives us power over other life. Mm -hmm. And that makes us dominate, that we think will bring us power, riches, control, all of the oil in the world to live the lifestyle we want to live forgetting the needs of the planet and the harm we're doing we could go on and on this way mm -hmm. but the attraction of power for our own purposes for our own ego and our fear of letting go of that power as you said and not only uh facing our own mortality and death mm -hmm. but realizing our limitations and our responsibilities to be part of the whole all contribute to the nearly irresistible attraction attractive power that evil has mm -hmm. well and, and it's uh you know it's important to understand that not only is that but what it does to a human being and there was a woman who wrote a book called the balkan express her name is Slovenka draculic and she wrote it about the serbian croatian war and from her perspective on on how it destroys how how war destroys the fabric between people and that it all begins of a recategorization of the other person as n not us, uh, as the other, as someone who's not with us, not a part of us. And once that happens, you start to go down a series of events that really destroys that moral fabric that holds a person together. Because once you recognize them and identify them as somebody who's not you or not part of the community, then the, the, the ideas, the, the propensity for human atrocities escalates exponentially. And she wrote in this book, and it's, I highly recommend for people to understand what the impact that it has on an individual, how it, it destroys their sense of self and their sense of decency and how it turns good and, and regular people into uh, murderers and victims of, of violence. 
read the book. And she writes, uh, and this is a direct quote, the naked brain crushes, obliterates us, pulls us down into the darkness, takes away our right to speak about love, morality, ideas, politics, to speak at all. In the face of the picture of a naked brain, all human values are simply reduced to nothing. And she goes into the book later on just talking about how these how a construction worker who ended up becoming a soldier and he ended up having to kill and then it was, it was he lost. And he says it's next to next to intimacy. Killing is the most intimate thing that you can have with another human being. And but it destroys and corrodes the, the soul. And in order to survive those situations, you. Many people have to overwhelm themselves with the horror and the gore just to numb themselves out from what they're seeing and to become cruel, to survive in, a, in that kind of environment. You've got to become cruel in that. So we've got to really understand what ends up happening, to what it does to the people who are actually in those war zones and who are in those conflict zones. And the 20th century ended up giving birth to probably one of the most extreme and diabolical forms of murder that uh, we've ever devised, which is the bureaucratic institutionalized mass murder that the Nazis instituted. And, you know, Ed, can you really describe for our audience what the, what, what the 20th century brought to, uh, you know, the, the lethalness, the, uh, uh, the banality of evil, as uh, Hannah Arendt in, in her book called uh, Eichmann in Jerusalem, what she wrote, and how it, uh, how that has led us to a very different kind of evil that we see in the world. I'm going to even bring it back up a bit before the 20th century and start with the American Civil War. Because the American Civil War was highly technolo technological war, and we did invent weapons that could kill at a group very long distance and with massive firepower, and uh, our... Many of our commanding generals and the, the, the victorious generals, especially Grant and Sherman, they were realists and they said war is horrible. We know the famous quote uh, from Sherman, war is hell, but he also said war is war and there is nothing we can do to make it uh, gentle. Um, <clears throat> so uh, they were realists and they said the quickest way to end a war is to be uh, to, and be victorious is to be as brutal as we possibly can destroy as much as possible kill as many people as we possibly can um, to force and ensure a, a short victory well that really started the modern American form of war making and our country has continued it ever since now and you're right to point out Germany and that it isn't of course it's not just America but we have devolved into a form of mass industrialized technological warfare. We keep inventing weapons that are larger, more powerful, more deadly, and that separate us from the act of killing. So now we have drone warfare. The drone operators are being called 21st century warriors. They're using technology from the other side of the world to target and um, kill their victims anywhere on the planet without the ancient warrior contract mm -hmm. of being in the kill or be killed situation that I 
I'm willing to offer my life if necessary in order to protect my people. I don't have to do it anymore. I just kill in my in my uh, technology room in my bunker. You've been there, Charlie. You know what this is like. Yeah. And then I'm supposed then I'm supposed to go home and live with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the German nation in in creating industrialized and technologized war really took the modern worldwide bureaucratic system that seems to be running everything, all of our multinational corporations and our governments and our mass societies, and they applied it to war making such that everybody was just a cog in a huge bureaucratic wheel. They were just parts of a massive killing machine. The other the Jews, the Gypsies, the Jehovah's Witnesses, political dissidents were all systematically dehumanized, rendered into its instead of people we're in solidarity with. And it's really important that we realize wars begin long before any shot is fired. The people of any nation, and the Germans did it quite effectively, have to be conditioned for a long time to view the other as less than human mm-hmm. such that when the leaders finally say fire we're willing to because we're just wiping out cockroaches not mm-hmm. other human beings mm-hmm. and that has become and continues to remain the, uh, the, our dominant form of warfare around the planet and not ours Americans that's true but humanity's dominant form of warfare there are a few cultures mm-hmm. now giving better, more humanistic um, training to their troops and saying, we're not going to participate in that form of warfare. We're going to reserve our soldiers, our military, only for genuinely humanistic efforts and life-saving rather than life-taking efforts. Mm -hmm. We need to restore that moral guidance to our entire military system uh, and humanize it again. Yes. Well, it's about reestablishing our conscience. <laughs> we, we've got to uh, reestablish yeah. our conscience and understand that, you know, if you, it is a divine inheritance that we had a conscience given to us to discern, to, to discern and determine whether we're doing something right or whether we are doing something wrong. That was given to us as a function to operate so we could navigate through our lives. And when those options came, that we would choose the right thing to do rather than the wrong thing to do. And if we surrender our conscience to an entity, to a bureaucracy, to an institution, to a government, to without really, you know, it it becomes, um, it's our highest moral duty to actually question why we are doing the things that we are doing. And hold a vigilance to truth at all times, because otherwise we could inadvertently become the instruments of evil. None of us want to. None of us are going, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's the direction. But we have to hold on to that and question all the time because it's the ability to think. That's what separates us. And that's one of the things that in uh, what Hannah Arendt, who is a philosopher and who wrote the book Eichmann in Jerusalem, was talking about. What it is that the, it is our a unique ability to think that helps us to differentiate when we are doing something wrong and when we are doing something right. And when we surrender that and just are planning to do our duty, we can become the, the, the instruments of evil, just like um, Eichmann was in World War II. Eichmann was, Adolf Eichmann was the one who was instrumental 
in shipping millions of men, women, and children to their deaths. And he had a complete lack of base motives. He was just doing his job. And when he was on trial, he looked, he didn't look scary. He seemed normal and, uh, you know, rational. He, absent was this, the character qualities of being someone who was wicked or hated them. He had no convictions. He had no intentions. In essence, he was really a nobody. And he was just merely following orders that he had taken an oath to fulfill. And he adamantly denied that he had done anything wrong or had any hand in the extermination of the Jews, which is incredible. And what happened is that, you know, he wasn't his responsibility. He was just following orders. And so he had no personal accountability for the destruction of all the people that he had. And so it's a crystalline form of pure wickedness that we see when guilt is dispersed throughout so that no one understands the, what's going on and they're just participating in this bureaucratic mass murder. And the key element is, is this inability to think for themselves, to think about why am I doing what, am I, what, what I'm doing? And so if you cannot, cannot think for yourself, if you are unable to distinguish right from wrong, if you can't empathize with another's pain, if you're merely functioning as a cog in an administrative killing machine, uh, where the guilt of the crime is dispersed so that everyone shares in the guilt and no one feels responsible for it, then we are unleashing or potentially unleashing um, pure wickedness. And just to like to have your thoughts quickly on that, Ed. And uh, before we try to get to, we're coming close to the end of the show, uh, which is incredible. Uh, and I do yeah, want to get to some. Up. I know we're just warming up right now. Yeah. I mean, we can keep going and going. And I want to well, uh, at least talk about some of the pathways to redemption and some of the stories before we end. Quick thoughts on, on your thoughts. Uh, an Iraq combat veteran I work with says simply, I, we don't need your fancy definitions of post-traumatic stress disorder or moral injury. I'll tell you what the wound is to the soul. When your head tells you to do what your heart tells you is wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it. When your head tells you to do what your heart tells you is wrong. We need to, key to foster awareness and rationality and truth-telling. And we need to keep everybody's hearts open and alive and responding other warrior traditions in the past and around the world help their warriors keep their hearts open even in the killing zone and in fact international law says we're supposed to international law says the individual warrior is responsible to only do right and is supposed to resist orders and not follow them through if the soldier judges it to be wrong well, the international community says that this is the case, but it's not practiced, mm -hmm. and soldiers are punished horribly and severely, as you well know, um, and have experienced uh, when we stand up for a higher moral order that the, uh, the military institution is not practicing. Mm -hmm. So we need to practice um, morality. We need to keep our hearts open. We need to keep uh, really educate mature minds who can see the truth and, and, and see what's happening and what they're involved in. And we need to nurture people of such inner strength that they choose to do right um, when they're in service and to do right even if it puts them at odds with uh, what our country is asking them to do. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, it is. It's uh, it's a requirement. It's an expectation. It's it's an internal. Um, how do I say? Just a knowingness. And whenever you have that, uh, your your guidance is going to tell you what the right thing to do is. Your heart's going to tell you what the right thing to do is. And you've got to be able to learn to how to follow that. Uh, no matter where you are, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation. We are broadcasting now on a quick uh, um, just station announcement. We are broadcasting from uh, KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com. We are broadcasting the best music uh, shows and programs, uh, not only here in Colorado, but all across the nation, all around the world, touching lives uh, from every corner of the globe. Uh, and it's an honor to be here to sh do the, this incredible show, have uh, Ed with me on this show. And I just want to thank every single one of you uh, for tuning in. Without you, the show wouldn't be possible. And uh, just be very, very humbled and grateful. Um, Ed, we've got, uh, we've got <laughs> 10 minutes left. And uh, can we just talk about some of the stories, you know, uh, Pathways to Redemption. You know, one of the biggest stories of, of, of redemption uh, in the Judeo-Christian tradition is the story of Job. And Job is struck down by God and uh, who's innocent uh, of any wrongdoing. There's a wager between him and Satan. And uh, Job is stripped. He's a morally righteous human being and an honest human being. And he gets all his, his, his children are killed. His wife is killed. He's lost all his cattle and sheep. He's on the dung heap of, of with all these sores and, and apertures on him. And he is asking why. Why did this happen to me? Why is this, uh, you know, with all these injuries and all these horrors and all these pains? And why would this trauma come down to me? And he is questioning the divine. And, uh, you know, these are stories of, of transformation. They are stories of redemption. If we look at it in the right way. So how can a story like the story of Job help someone or others, if you have them, um, help someone who is struggling to climb back into the light? Well, uh, that, you're right that Job is one of the most profound stories of spiritual redemption and healing of trauma that I have. Uh, and briefly, let's remember, ordinary human answers didn't work. The comforters failed. There's a wonderful modern rendition of Job called J.B. by the poet Archibald MacLeish, who was a World War One artillery officer. He was in the darkness himself. He translated Job into 20th century terms. He saw the comforters as uh, priests, psychiatrists, and politicians. The common, the conventional answers that humanity tends to give us for what suffered. What Job learns is that there is no there is no answer. But there's, don't worry. There's uh, um, it's a we're using from a different uh, camera. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, we'll uh, okay. Go ahead. Sorry, Ed. It's it's okay. It's spirit calling us. That's spirit that's calling. That's, <laughs> that's the point. We have to whether with Job or any other model. We have to accept that warriorhood, because of the tasks it has to perform, because it's given the killing skills and sometimes the right to take other life, because it's in service to the community, warriorhood is inherently a spiritual journey. And the path to redemption 
must include adopting a spiritual path and not saying, let me become an ordinary civilian again, but rather let me grow and evolve into a spiritual warrior Mm -hmm. who embraces my experience and my destiny as a warrior, who has become mature, aware, awake, because I have seen the darkness out there and I have experienced the darkness in myself and from now on and forevermore I'm responsible to carry that awareness of the darkness do everything I can to help others awaken to the collective darkness and serve as a warrior helping humanity resist the call of the darkness Mm -hmm. so Job is that model of gaining the most difficult spiritual vision finally on the donkey only in the deepest darkest most pained place of the, of his being and of his story does god finally speak to him the voice out of the whirlwind and this is also it's quite um analogous to jesus story mm-hmm. so we talk about easter weekend and we talk about the crucifixion on friday and the resurrection on saturday well brothers and sisters out there what happened on saturday in between crucifixion and resurrection mm-hmm. where did jesus go Saturday, on Holy Saturday, Jesus went down to hell. Mm -hmm. Jesus went into the underworld. Jesus also had to know intimately through personal experience the ways of the underworld and the horrors that are down there before he could achieve resurrection. Mm -hmm. In similar fashion, in Greek mythology, Odysseus, who was lost on the journey home from the Trojan War, had to go through many adventures, all of which are analogous their roadmaps for what all veterans have to go through trying to come home from war and let again remember the key was uh, for getting home was going down into the underworld awake and conscious and he seeing feeling knowing all of the death destruction pain loss tragedy that comes from the war experience and being able to see it and carry it in consciousness and then rise back up to the surface and travel through the light now as an aware initiated elder who could then grow into his kingship and uh, and rule with compassion later on Mm -hmm. so all of these are models but basically it's the hero's journey we have to accept the uh, descent into the underworld. We have to be very conscious there. We have to bring our hearts uh, back open and back to life so that we feel the descent and everything down there. As you earlier said, we have to achieve catharsis through theater and other uh, forms of practice and art so that we release the horrors that are in us. Uh, and cleanse of them and then like Job like Odysseus like Jesus emerge with a spiritual lesson spiritual values and wisdom and the compassion to walk a spiritual path the rest of our lives and do everything we can to help others mm-hmm. uh, and we if we had time you and I could offer many stories of actual warriors of today American warriors we know and have worked with who have walked this spiritual path so they got have gone from the curse of being dominated by PTSD to the blessing of being a returned spiritual warrior who can now say it was my story this is the story I lived but it no longer tortures me it's guidance for living well for the rest of my days 
Well, it is, and it's uh, and it comes when you face when you when you face the, that dark that darkness, and you come and you face and you're on that dung heap, and you allow the, the powers and you surrender to what is. You know, Job says, uh, you know, well, when he is confronted by God and and looked at him, he, you know, I. I abhor myself and I repent, and it is, and he basically he forgives uh, all that has happened to him as being God's will, as being what was expected and planned, and it's through that surrender to that to that moment that God, in His mercy, He 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 in that moment, Joe becomes greater than his Creator in the sense that He forgives all that happened to him and accepts it. And is therefore God is moved to mercy and is able and restores his life in all ways and gives him back more. And it is that conquering of those darker impulses that allows us to really come back to the light fully with a complete understanding of the totality of life, of what life is. And if you also look in the Eastern traditions, in the Bhagavad Gita, you have Arjuna, who is a warrior as well, who when Krishna talks to him and he doesn't want to go and fight the enemy, his brothers and his uncles and other people there, uh, Krishna shows the other side of him and says, you know, this is going to happen. This is the totality and nature of life. And once you can accept that, move forward. But always stay on the side of light and goodness. Always stay on the light of truth and love. And these are the things, these are the lessons that you learn. And, and to me, redemption, and we'll go through just a couple more minutes. And um, my feeling that redemption is, is that when you recognize it's a deliverance from guilt and from sin and a return to the wholeness that we started with. It's ultimately, that's what our salvation is. And that's what it comes. And only we can walk the path. We can have guides who help us to move forward and in those different directions. But you have to do it yourselves. We are saved from ourselves. And and the hells we've made. And this is accomplished when we atone for our errors, when we return to that spiritual life, when we do things that we can to help uh, to make amends for the wrongs that we have done to others, and we forgive ourselves, and we forgive others, and we forgive God for the things that happen and bringing these ills upon us. And by facing those shadows, by turning through those shadows and facing Him, and, and the world shadow, and the collective shadow, and God's shadow, it's one of the noblest things that we can do as a human being. And it brings peace to the heart, and we are able to reconcile various parts of ourselves, and suddenly we come and, and we come back into wholeness, and then we have wisdom, immense wisdom to share with, our, with the rest of society. What do you think, Ed? Is it pretty close to my? What do you have to add about redemption? What the, the value of of what is redemption? We're putting the world back together that we helped to take apart. Yes. We're putting ourselves back together after we've been taken apart. We're embracing uh, a path that was given to us without its spiritual dimensions, but we're embracing it as a profound spiritual path that people have walked, walked for thousands of years and to which we can restore the spirituality. Mm -hmm. So uh, we could give our friends out there a really simple formula for how to come home. What is the practice? Spirituality in community. We walk a profound and sincere spiritual path, including making right for the things we've done wrong, practicing restitution 
and atonement, not just wallowing in our wounds, but saying, I hurt the world, I'm going to help heal the world. I took life, I'm going to give back life. I bombed a school, I'll build a school. And I will get good with the people I've harmed and help put the world back together. So restitution, atonement, uh, restoration are beautiful. And we're given that uh, beautiful lesson from the Bible too. Isaiah said, um, they that shall... uh, I'm trying. I'm forgetting. Right. <laughs> they that <laughs> will be with you. Uh, they that uh, shall be of you will rebuild the old waste places. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the paths to dwell in. Mm. Our warriors are that when they accept the spiritual journey of restoring the world that we've all helped harm, and it becomes really beautiful and joyous. What once tortured us blesses us, and where we once caused harm, we're spreading goodness and blessings. Yes. Ed, thank you so much. This has been an unbelievable I can't believe we're already at the end of the show. Thank you, Ed, so much. Please go to SoldiersHeart.com and find out all the amazing events that Soldiers Heart has going on here in the next few months and the Soldiers Heart Institute. Come. You will learn so much. Uh, I want to thank KUHS again for help hosting us and allowing us to be able to broadcast here. Uh, eternally grateful to them. And we will have another fantastic show in two weeks. We're having Dr. John Becknell coming on. We're going to talk about first responders and the archetypal process there. I just want to thank all of you. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless all of you. The council is adjourned. We will be back in two weeks. Thank you, folks, very much.